I would invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles with me first to Psalm 16 and then to 1 Peter 1. We'll read uh, Psalm 16 first, and I invite you to stand for that. Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. And we'll turn to 1 Peter. The text for the message tonight is verses 3 to 5. I'll just start at verse 1 and and read to verse 5. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we, we come to you once more. O oh Lord, we, we pray that you would be with us, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that, O oh Lord, we, we would o- obey your word, that it would dwell in us richly. Help us, O oh Lord, this evening to see uh, the beauty and the majesty of Christ and the inheritance that we have in him. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would be with those who hear, for they are weak, and be with him who speaks, for he is weak. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would be glorified. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, Eric preached a sermon from Nehemiah chapter 7, and I was curious to see how he would handle such a difficult text. And if I could use a baseball analogy, I felt like he got thrown a knuckleball and and hit it really well. And this text today is is a fastball right down the middle, but it's 105 miles an hour. There's there's a a lot here to cover in in such a uh, a short time. So I... I want to mention first, before we hop in, that there are, are three points for, for the sermon today. 
And I'll remind you of them as as we go along, but our first point is a heavenly inheritance. Our second point is a guarded inheritance. And our third point is an inheritance in Christ alone. And so before we get too much in the details of 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5, I just want to zoom out a little bit, take a, a bigger view so that we don't miss the forest through all the trees. And so in the previous two verses that we, that we visited uh, a few weeks ago, we saw that Peter is writing to exiles or sojourners of the dispersion. And we spent a lot of time uh, that, those few weeks ago considering that all Christians, um, by, by virtue of their election, are exiles. And that's, that's very true. But what we want to keep in mind as we move on throughout 1 Peter is that Peter is writing to those who are not just spiritually exiled from the world, but also physically exiled from their homeland as well. And so the sojourners that make up Peter's audience have been dispersed from their home country. And so when Peter goes on in our text today and he he talks about um, suffering, uh, I'm sorry, past our text today, like through much of chapter three and four, when he speaks of suffering in these texts, It's not a theoretical if it happens, but it's practical. It's happening right now to these sojourners to who he who he is writing. And so when he speaks in this text of a living hope and an inheritance, this living hope, this inheritance is not mere sentiment. It's not um, just just warm words, but he speaks of a living hope to those who are currently hopeless. And he speaks of an inheritance to those who are impoverished. And so that brings us to our first point today, that um, we have a heavenly inheritance. And if we look at verse 3, we begin uh, the, the text with a doxology, which just, mean, which just means a song of praise. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter is instructing these sojourners who have been exiled from their homeland. He's instructing them and us, that we have much to praise God for, despite the tribulation we experience. He says, according to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so here the apostle is speaking of regeneration, or just new birth is another way to say that. And this is a great reason to praise God, a real tangible reason in the midst of sojourning why we ought to praise God. But I think actually that the thrust of this passage, the main point of this passage, really rests on the idea of living hope and of inheritance. And so if, if we look at verse 3, it doesn't end with a period, but it ends with a comma. And so Peter is not saying, praise God that you've been born again, full stop. Although that's obviously more than sufficient enough reason to praise God, he goes on and says that we have two great benefits from God our Father. And the first benefit is a living hope, which comes in verse 3. And the second benefit we have is an inheritance that comes in verse 4. And so I want to spend much of our time this evening considering these two things, our living hope and our inheritance. And so first, let's look at the living hope that we have from God our Father. When we use the word hope, we use it in a couple of different ways, typically. When we use it, I think it can either mean um, 
a confident expectation or a wishful expectation. So if um, I was ill-prepared for an exam and, uh, or a sermon, not that that would ever happen, but if I were, if I were ill-prepared for an exam and my wife said, how do, you, how do you feel about the exam? Do you think you're going to pass? And I said, I hope so. Um, that's kind of just wishful thinking, right? I'm just hoping that my professor or God will be merciful on me and I'll pass this thing. But if I spend 100 hours researching, writing, rewriting, working very diligently on a paper, and my wife said, do you think Dr. Troxell will give you an A? And I said, I sure hope so. That means something a little bit different, right? There's a little bit more confidence there. And I think this is a little bit closer to the hope that Peter speaks about. He speaks about a living hope. And, and there's two things we really want to note about this hope. One, I've already said it 85 times, but it's living. It, it's not dead. And second, it's not wishful thinking or mere feeling or mere uh, sentiment. But living hope here in First Peter is contrasted to dead hope. That's based on no reality, like me hoping I'll pass an exam, even though I hope, even though I haven't studied, that's dead hope. Paul um, elsewhere picks up this idea of, of living hope. In Ephesians 2.12, he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. What Peter wants us to see and what Paul wants us to see is that we have a living hope because we have a living God. And this is why specifically in verse three, he highlights the power of the resurrection. Our hope is not dead because the basis of our hope, namely Christ Jesus, is still living. And so the hope that we have as, as Christians are our, our hope in this life doesn't come from the world. Christian hope doesn't come from the stock market. Christian hope does not come from a horoscope or the Enneagram. Christian hope is a living hope rather than a futile hope because it is linked to and grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the basis of our hope, the reason we can have a hope is the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. We can have hope because Christ lives, but as I said, I think where Peter is pushing us is he wants us to see that the content of our hope is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So not only do we have a living hope, but we also have this other thing, which is an inheritance. And so Peter's audience are sojourners, literally, physically, geographically, they've been removed from their homeland, but spiritually as well. They're, they're exiles, and they're likely experiencing suffering and persecution where they now live. You know, Pastor Eric mentioned this this morning, but our, our culture is very transient. Neither my wife nor I are from here, and we did not meet in, in our hometown, and that's not really, really weird for us, right? Especially here in San Marcos, there's a lot of seminary students that come and go, military family, or just people leaving California in general. Our culture is more transient. It's not a big deal for us to be in exile in a manner of speaking, but this is not the case for Peter's audience. 
Being a sojourner in the ancient world is not merely living in a different home. To be a sojourner in the ancient world in Peter's context meant that you were likely cut off from your family and from the land in which you grew up in. And this is significant because the land of your fathers was your inheritance. And today when, when we think of inheritance, we typically think of stuff or, or money, right? And so maybe some of us, like me, really want grandpa's old shotgun one day. Maybe some of us, not like me, want grandma's fine china one day. Perhaps some of us have a rich uncle with a loaded Roth IRA, Roth IRA and we're hoping that he leaves, leaves that to us. Um, if you want to know what that's like, don't ask me or my nephews. Um, but in Peter's day, inheritance isn't just stuff. It's not just memorabilia we hand down from generation to generation. Um, in Peter's day, inheritance primarily consisted of land. And exiles, sojourners, do not have land and thus... In a very real way, a very economic, monetary way, they're without hope. And so for these Gentile Christians who are living in Pontus or Galatia or throughout the dispersion, hundreds of miles away from his homeland, he's without an inheritance. He's without much hope. And this is, this is a significant problem for Gentile Christians, but it's heightened even more with Jewish Christians who live in the dispersion. Not only is the Jewish Christian not going to inherit a farm or a vineyard from his father, but he's also outside of the promised land. So for both Jews and Gentiles, their sojourning comes at a massive monetary and economic expense. But for the Jew, the expense is also religious as well. The the land of, of Canaan was meant to be their promised land. Leviticus uh, 20, 24 says, You shall inherit their land, speaking of the land of Canaan, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. God promised to the Israelites that he would give them this land forever, but these sojourners have not inherited the land. They're homeless. The promise of a land to inherit for these sojourners is a distant memory. They're not anywhere close to it, spiritually or physically. Perhaps they're lamenting like Jeremiah did at the time of the exile. In Lamentations 5.2, he says, our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. And so this lack of inheritance in the sojourners' lives is no small point of tension in, in the text. Because without this inheritance, they may be tempted to say that they are outside of God's blessing. But this is where Peter brings good news of comfort to these exiles and sojourners. He brings comfort and not condemnation. He's not being trite when he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? He's, he's not that friend who you tell, I just got T-boned. He's like, well, praise God. P- Peter is giving real serious, solid uh, advice and encouragement in this doxology. He's not giving pat advice that fits on a poster or, or on a coffee mug, right? He, he didn't give the sojourners the, the poster of the cat hanging from uh, a limb that says, just hang in there. He's telling the sojourners that they have reason to rejoice because they have, they have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. 
The sojourners without their inheritance may have been tempted, likely were, to lick their wounds from losing their inheritance. But these three descriptors that Peter gives us, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, he's showing us that the inheritance of the new covenant is superior to the earthly inheritance of the people of Israel. And so whereas the land promise to Israel, in one sense, in one sense, was temporary, may no longer reside there, the inheritance the sojourners now have is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And so we indeed do have a great inheritance that we experience both now and one we also look forward to be revealed in, in the last time. But I, I want to I I stop here because I, I think I said something that may seem a, a little controversial where I said the land promises were, were temporary. And you may ask, and, and rightfully so, what about the land? I mean, God did promise it to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Um, are we just spiritualizing the, the text here? Are we just glossing over those promises or not taking the Bible seriously? And I would say that Peter no more spiritualizes the text or allegorizes it any more than Abraham did, who received the promises. In Romans 4.13, it says, For the promise of Abraham, the promise to Abraham and his offspring, is that he would be the heir of Canaan? No, the, the promise is that Abraham would be the heir of the world. Abraham knew that his inheritance was much bigger than the land of Canaan. He knew it was the whole world. And so while Abraham did live in that land of promise, he lived in the land of, of Canaan. He lived there as a sojourner. Right? Hebrew says he lived there in tents. He, he looked forward to the heavenly city built by God, his true inheritance. And so therefore, the sojourners here or us today, we do not look to the land of Canaan or we don't look to these United States as our promised land, but we look forward to a heavenly city that is built by God. And so Christianity is not limited to a sliver of land on the globe, but it's worldwide. And we see this both in, in the Great Commission, where our Lord tells us to go out to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But we also see this in the promises of the new heavens and the new earth. And so Peter picks up this promise of this worldwide um, inheritance idea. In 2 Peter 3.13, he says, But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so Peter here knows that these sojourners are suffering and struggling. Their bank account is, is in the red, and they are without much hope. But Peter doesn't dismiss the land promises that, that, they, that they know well. He wants us to see that our inheritance is not merely a piece of land, not merely a piece of land, but our inheritance is also, as verse 5 says, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so I think here in 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5, that our inheritance is twofold. So we have reason to bless God now, but we also look forward to that last time when our inheritance, when our salvation will be revealed. So right now we can praise God for causing us to be born again. But we also look forward to that heavenly inheritance. 
And so the good news about this inheritance that we have as Christians is we cannot be exiled from it. In the Old Testament, God's people were exiled. But here Peter is promising us that we cannot be exiled from the promises of God. Though we may be dispersed throughout the, throughout the world, we are not exiled from the promises of God. And that brings us to our second point, a guarded inheritance. And so in these verses, the, the apostle first speaks of the quality of our inheritance. Again, it's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Very different from the inheritances that we, that we think about, right? We may hope to inherit Grandpa's shotgun, but it can rust. Grandma's fine china can crack and break. You may hope for your rich uncle to leave you a fortune, but it can be spent or it can be lost in the stock market. And certainly all these things can be stolen. But the inheritance we have as believers cannot rust, cannot crack, cannot diminish, and it certainly cannot be taken. And so not only are we comforted by the quality of our inheritance, these three descriptors, or the durability of our inheritance, but we can also rest well. We can sleep well at night knowing that our inheritance is guarded by God in heaven. And so Peter says in verse 5 that our inheritance is being guarded. He doesn't call us to take up arms to guard it. He doesn't say, get an alarm system, get a guard dog. Um, he, he, doesn't, he, doesn't say, he doesn't say any of that, right? He says, our inheritance is being guarded by God. Our salvation, both now what we experience in this life and what we look forward to in heaven is beyond the reach of danger because it is in God's hands. You know, we often get worked up, and I'm not saying it's always inappropriate, but we can get really worked up about the stock market over the direction of, of our culture, over the conditions of our belongings, the decisions of our civil leaders, or what Grandma and Grandpa left us. But our inheritance is not in the stock market. Our inheritance is not our family home. Our inheritance is not to be found in a safety deposit box and certainly not in Washington, D.C. Those are the things that are perishable. Those are the things that are defiled and fading. Our inheritance is kept for us and is being guarded by God's power, and it's ready to be revealed at the last time. And so, again, our inheritance here is our salvation, and, and it does not wither. It cannot be stolen, and it's being guarded by God. And so the sojourners Peter is writing to here have been persecuted. And in the context of the letter, they likely still are. Their adversaries, unfortunately, are probably having amazing success over them. All they have in this world, likely gone. However, the, the sojourners that Peter is writing to, and to us as well, they, ha they have hope that there is a reward that no force on heaven or earth could take from them. This heavenly inheritance, namely their salvation, gives them and us hope in our darkest times. Nothing is going to take away our living hope. Nothing is going to take away our salvation, our inheritance. So if we look at verses 4 and 5, we see that our inheritance is both 
kept in heaven and being guarded in heaven. So uh, Peter here uses two different verbs to almost say the same thing. He's, he's really just doubling down and make sure that we know it's kept and guarded. And so those who God has accepted in Christ Jesus, or as Peter would say it, those um, who have been born again shall certainly persevere to the end and be eternally saved. That's good news, that Christ will see us to the end, that our salvation, our living hope, our inheritance will not go away, that that, that candle will not burn out. But the reason it doesn't burn out, the reason these things don't go away, the reason the saints have this perseverance, it doesn't depend upon their own free will, but on God's unchangeable decree of election, on his unchangeable love, upon the merits of Christ and the spirit abiding within them. And so this is the joy of the Christian in the midst of of suffering, that though we may lose land or home or health or wealth, that we have a heavenly inheritance that awaits us that no market could devalue, no robber take, nor disease destroy. And so we do not live for this world, and, and our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in the one to come. Our hope is not in this land here, but in the new heavens and, and the new earth. And though our life here may be shorter than what we expected, though it may be more troubled than what we expected, we will inherit eternal life for those who have been born again. Though we may have no land, though we may have no land, one day we will inherit the earth. Though others have not kept their promises, we will inherit the promises of God. Though some have treated us with evil, we will inherit eternal blessing. So brothers and sisters and Friends here, I I hope that you know what this gift is. I hope you know what this inheritance is and who this great gift giver is. And I trust and hope that many of you already know what it's like to partake in this inheritance. But I hope if if you do not know how great this gift and this gift giver are, that you're asking yourself right now, how can I inherit this salvation? And this brings us to our third point, an inheritance in Christ alone. Peter clearly gives us two ways in which we receive this this inheritance. So to answer the question, how do I get this inheritance? Peter gives us two ways. He, He says, first, we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have an inheritance through faith. So there to be a little redundant, there's two means, two ways to get this inheritance, the resurrection of, the Christ, of Christ and faith. And so let us just quickly look back up at, at, verse, at verse 3 and consider what Peter means when he says, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's consider that for just a few minutes. Peter makes it clear here that our living hope does not come from our feelings or our psychological well-being. Our living hope does not come from wishful thinking or from our own good works. This living hope, this supernatural life and inheritance is a gift from God, and it's not earned by our good works. 
Where we failed to keep God's law, Christ kept it perfectly so that he could be a perfect sacrifice for us, but also that he could credit us with his righteousness and through his resurrection from the grave, conquer death that we may live with him forever and obtain our inheritance. And so that is to say that Christ did what we could not do. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 50, unpacking the idea of resurrection, he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So we look to Christ and his resurrection in faith for our salvation, not for the quality of love that we have for him, but we look to him for his great love for us. Again, he has done what we could not do. Where Israel failed to keep the law, he obeyed it. And though we have lost our inheritance, he promises a better one. And when death would have defeated us, he defeated it by the power of his resurrection, we may live again. So Peter is calling us here to place our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he he does say that we have an inheritance that's waiting for us in heaven, ready to be revealed in the last time. But he's also telling us that right here, right now, July 16th, that we can access these promises of faith. We can access this inheritance even now through faith. While we cannot obtain our inheritance or, or add to it by our own obedience, God calls us to have faith in the one who could. That is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith here is not merely an intellectual exercise. Having faith in God is is not the same as having faith that you'll win the lottery or pass a test that you didn't study for. Having faith in God is not merely saying, hear me again, not merely saying I prayed a prayer one time. Having faith in God is trusting him for all things. And so if you had a friend or a family member who was a bridge builder and he, he just built, built a bridge and he says, do you, do you trust me? Do you trust my abilities? He's not just asking you to say the word yes or to say you're a great build, uh, bridge builder, best bridge builder I've ever seen. He's asking you to walk across that bridge. And likewise, our Lord calls us to have faith in him. Whether we are an old saint facing difficult times, our Lord here today tells us to trust him, walk across the bridge. And there are some here who, who have not put their faith in this, in this great God, in Christ Jesus, who's been resurrected from the dead. And he is calling you right now through the power of his word to walk across that bridge and, and to trust in him. This is what he, he calls us to. He, call, he calls us all, no matter our circumstance, no matter whether we are rich or poor, young or old, whether we're moral or amoral, whether, whether we've been to church every Sunday of our life or whether we feel like we've sinned so much, we can never be forgiven. Our Lord Jesus Christ calls us to trust not in our own works, but in him and his resurrection. And so I pray this evening that you would trust and our great Savior. Let us pray. Gracious God and loving Father, we thank you, O Lord, for the goodness of your word and the gospel. 
We thank you, O Lord, for saving weak men and women such as us. Lord, we, we, we know that it is, it is not something that we could have done. We look to your law, Lord, and we see how often and frequently we, we fail you. So, so Lord, there, there are many here who, who are weak and, and struggling, and we pray, O oh Lord, that, that all of us would, would look to our great Savior, that we would not look inward to our greatness or outward to what our culture says or what our horoscope says or what anyone else says, but that we would look unto our faithful Savior, Jesus, that faithful Savior who knows us, who we belong to both body and soul, and apart from him, nothing can happen to us. Not even hair can fall from our head. We pray, O oh Lord, that you, um, you would be with us again, Lord. We pray that the word of Christ would dwell in us richly. Help us, O oh Lord, we pray. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen.